0: Um, Aware of number one is, we've had some families uh, added to our uh, our giving tree in the lobby. So a couple of weeks ago, when when we announced that uh, we had tags on the trees for, uh, for for families from Prospect Point and Green Park. Uh, I mean, all of the tags but two disappeared that morning, and those other two went very, very quickly. Uh, Prospect Point, they wanted to get the the gifts to the families themselves, and so they did that. But Green Park, this is kind of an awesome thing, Green Park has given us the opportunity to deliver those gifts to those families. And so if you have a gift for a Green Park student, even if you've already brought it, uh, I would encourage you to check with Dan, who's walking in right here, right now. He was at the table in the lobby back and to your left, and he'll be out there between services as well. Uh, You can coordinate with the other people who got gifts for that family and make arrangements to to deliver that to them. I know Dan and Trudy got to do that last year, and we're great. Greatly, greatly blessed uh, by that opportunity. The other thing I want to let you know about is uh, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about this for the next few weeks because it's something we want to make sure we catch all the parents on and catch nobody off guard. Uh, but we've got a series that's gonna be starting uh, for the youth uh, January 14th, and it's a series on Christian sexuality. the The reality is, um, and I'm not gonna go into details. Uh, right right here, right now. But um, you might be surprised at the things that our even middle schoolers are, are facing today. And so um, uh, Pastor Thad came across this series. He had recognized some of the speakers and they intrigued him, so he started looking into this. And uh, Dr. Preston Sprinkle is somebody who I've heard talk on the issue. And uh, to hear that this was coming from him, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of excited about this. And so uh, what we want to do is is there is material. For parents, and there's material for students. So starting January 7th, both in the mornings. Uh, second hour during the 10 30 service in in the rooms right over here to your right we're going to have the the quote-unquote parent material but we're making that available to anybody who wants to come and and kind of learn what scripture has to say uh, about the beauty of of human sexuality and the gift that it is and we and then starting the the 14th the, the students will, uh, will begin this series. Now, uh, it's a little bit of a wonky schedule. The, the youth are going to go kind of three weeks on and then take a break and, and do something that might be a little more uh, light because uh, there's a total of 12 series. So it'll be three weeks on, some time off, three weeks on, some time off. Uh, but what we want to do is we want to make sure that as parents uh, and just as a church, for anybody who wants to go, you're seeing the material ahead of time, especially if maybe your students are middle schoolers, and you might be thinking, hey, there's a night here where we're going to find something else to do, because that my sixth grader might just not, not quite be ready for that. I will tell you this, though, we did get our hands on a copy of the material that's being taught in middle schoolers, Um, And we're not going to be teaching them anything about the mechanics of sexuality, but the schools are. The schools are teaching them the mechanics of, of these things. And so we want to balance that with a biblical picture. And so while we're not going to be talking about mechanics, while we're going to be talking about uh, the, the, the beauty of human sexuality as given to us by God, uh, we, we just want you to, want, to, want you to know that that series is coming up. We do have a quick uh, video here to, just kind of introing the series that we're going to take a look at now. So join me in watching that. Regardless of whether you identify as male, female, trans, non-binary, or anything else, we need to make sure that our ultimate identity is in Jesus. Don't let your past mistakes define you or your future. Every day is a new chance, a new opportunity to make a choice to follow Jesus and live your life with sexual integrity. So that's coming up starting in January, and if you'd like to join us for that, you can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30. You can join us Sunday evenings at 6.30 uh, during youth group, and we'll make sure you are ahead of the curve. With that, let's, uh, let's turn to God once more in prayer, and then we will look at his word from the book of John, chapter 15 and chapter 13. Heavenly Father, we... Um, we want to pause in this moment and ask for your help. Lord, we want to ask for your help as we approach your word, knowing that we need your help in understanding it and, and, and trying to grasp who you are. And as you are so far above us, uh, our intellects just fail us at points. But we know that you have given us your, your spirit so that we might have uh, the mind of Christ and know your word. Would you help us to see you in in glorious and wonderful ways this morning. Father, we want to uh, continue to pray this morning for the Brennans, and I'm a little unsure of what's, uh, what's going on with their visa process, but we do know that, that there are things happening, and they may have some other opportunities, and even some that might cost less Uh, less money, and so we pray that you would provide whatever is needed for uh, where your will is going to take them. We thank you for the seven and a half years that they've had ministering among the people there, but Lord, we continue to pray that there would be clearer and clearer communication with the Barat people, particularly as they, uh, or in the Barat language, particularly as they translate your word for those people. We pray that people would hear and would believe. Lord, we want to continue to pray this morning for Emily Gilsdorf. uh, Daniel and Julia's daughter and the granddaughter of Daniel and Teresa Ogis. Father, as uh, she's still in the hospital and, and struggling with RSV, we ask you to bring her to health. We ask you to give the medications that the doctors are giving her effective treatment. We ask for wisdom in knowing uh, what to treat her with. Uh, but ultimately, Lord, what we simply want to see her uh, become as healthy and strong in regards to this virus. And so would you, uh, would you give her health and healing this morning? Father, we, um, we're so grateful to you for your word that speaks to so many things, uh, not only teaching us about um, who we are and how you, you designed us and, um, and how we can live lives that are glorifying to you in terms of sexuality and our, uh, our relationships in and with the world and the people around us, but Lord, that we might even, as we will look this morning, see your son and what he has done for us and the greatness of his sacrifice. And so, Father, help us, help us to be humble and submitted, give us soft hearts to obey your word, give us clear minds to understand it, and glorify yourself in our time, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking this morning at uh, John chapter 15, particularly verses 12 and 13, so I'll start there, and then we'll turn back just two chapters to John chapter 13 as well. Uh John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13 say, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And along with that, John chapter 13, starting in verse 31 and going through verse 35, says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek Me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are My disciples." if you have love for one another. As we close out uh, this, this Christmas series from the book of John, particularly chapter 15, over the next three weeks, it'll take us through, uh, through New Year's Eve. We're, we're kind of, in, in many ways, going to get a little bit of a, a three-part series about being a friend of Jesus. I think maybe sometimes we, um, we fail to grasp Just how significant those words are—that Jesus might be our friend. Luke chapter two verses eight through fourteen. I I think uh, you, you have you'll see these up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. We read this in the account of Jesus' birth. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were fi- filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And this series we're in this December is called Joyful. We're looking at this joy that Christ has left us. We saw over the last couple of weeks what Jesus says in John fifteen eleven that these things He has spoken to us, that His joy may be in us, and that our joy may be full. And at his birth, this is what was announced. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among with whom He is pleased. Look at the connection of the angel's words. Glory to God and on earth peace. I think often... Uh, I, I think the church kind of goes through waves at times. Sometimes our our thoughts are more of Jesus as ruling king, and then we, we, we realize that there's something of his friendship that's lost in that, and, and we swing to, you know, Jesus is just all right with me. The, the friendship kind of, uh, some of you might get that reference in here. Many of you probably don't. Anthony got it. I got a thumbs up from... Uh, from, from Anthony there. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, and then we swing to the friendship side of things where, where, where we lose a little bit of His glory. But if you noticed as we were singing this morning, most of what we sung in these songs about Jesus were not about Him being our friend, our buddy, or our pal. They're about Him being the sovereign King. The Creator of heaven and earth. And Jesus says to His disciples here in John chapter 15 that you are, verse, we can look at verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. We all We all know people who are name droppers maybe. But the more uh, influential, the more powerful, the more well-known somebody is who might be our friend, maybe the more inclined we are to drop names, right? Like, hey, so-and-so, you know, they're my friend. And Jesus is telling us here, That as the sovereign king, the creator of heaven and earth, the glorious one who left heaven to become a baby and live with us, born in a stable of all places as we see in Luke 2, he can be our friend. But the angels announce glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And we can't miss that connection. Because there is no peace without understanding the glory and sovereignty of Jesus. If He's not sovereign, if He's not powerful, if He's not glorious, what power does He have to bring peace in unpeaceful times? What power does He have to bring peace in situations where there is none? If we want the peace and joy of this good news that's offered at Christmas, we have to understand his glory and his sovereignty. In John chapter 1 verses 1 through 13 again these will be up on the screen for you. John tells us this: in the beginning was the Word. Now the Word John uses uh, here, you may well know, especially if you grew up in, in church, is not the Word that we would use for like a word on a page. It, this would be more of a, uh, the idea of a word if I said, hey, can I have a word with you? If I said, hey, can I have a word with you? You wouldn't expect me to say, purple. Good talk. No, you would expect some complete thought To to come about. You would expect a conversation. That's more the idea of the word in John chapter 1. But Greek philosophers, they loved to sit around and debate what was the word? What was the thing that caused all other things? What was the starting point of everything that exists? And they called this thing the word. And John tells us, maybe drawing on some of those thoughts in the culture, he said, In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, obviously God here is a reference to God the Father, and the Word is a reference to God the Son, Jesus. But notice what he says in verse 3. All things were made through him. Not most things, not many things. And just to be clear, John clarifies for us what he means by all things. When he says, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was not created by God who then created everything else. He is the eternally existent Son of God, the one who caused all things. In him, verse 4, was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist, not John who wrote the book. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but, to came, to bear, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, back to Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming in the wor- into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we see this announcement of glory to God and peace to men. And that peace That joy, it comes when we begin to understand that this baby was no uh, ordinary baby. Not even just a a miraculous baby. He He was extraordinary. He was God eternally who became one of us. And yet here in John chapter 15, not at Jesus' birth, but at His death. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, John actually 13 and 15, both passages that we will look today, look at today, take place in the upper room discourse. Jesus, it's Thursday night of Easter week. He's going to die the next day. He's in the upper room with the disciples, and in fact, Judas has already left to go about his business of betraying Jesus and selling him out to the Romans. Because in verse 31 of John chapter six, uh, 13, I'm sorry, says when he had gone out. And so Judas has left. And now in John chapter 13 and John chapter 15, Jesus is beginning to address his final instructions, his final teaching with this ragtag band of knuckleheads who he is about to leave everything with all of the responsibility of spreading the news of who he is and what he has done is going to get left with these guys who don't seem to be able to get much right. And he's giving them these final instructions. But if we consider all of these passages that we've put together or read this morning, let's, let's see how this unfolds. Let, let's look at the progression of what I'm saying and see if I can make some sense out of this. First, we see in John chapter 1, That Jesus is the eternal creator. That nothing that has been made has been made apart from him. And in Luke chapter 2, as the angel announces to the shepherds, he has become one of us. The eternal God takes on flesh. Uh, And and the announcement in Luke 2 is that a king is born. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. This reference to David is a, a kingly reference. And this baby who is born is Christ the Lord. Now, if the, the, the King of heaven and earth, the, the ruler of all things, the sovereign one of heaven, is going to become a baby and be born among us, we would not expect what comes next. This will be a sign for you. And, and let me tell you, if an angel showed up to you and said, I'm here to announce to you the birth of the King who will rule all things and you're going to find Him in a barn, sleeping in a food trough, trough, wrapped in cloths, used to take care of animals after they've been born. This is the sign He'd be like, what kind of sign is that? This is the king? And yet, this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. I, I can't help but to think heaven just erupts in praise that spills out onto earth in front of these shepherds because the time had come and Jesus was born. We know from the New Testament that angels had looked into Old Testament prophecies to see when that time would be. And the time was here. The eternal Son of God, the King of Heaven, He has left Heaven to be born in a stable. And so, the ruling, reigning, sovereign Creator became one of us, Luke 2, back to John 1, so that we might become his children, Because to all who received Him, not rejected Him, who believed in His name, God gave the right to become children of God. This is not an inalienable right. It's not one... We, we who have believed certainly have the right to be called children of God, but not because... There's something automatically in us that deserves to be called children of God. But because He gave us that right. The eternal Creator became one of us so that when we believe, we might become His children and, back to John 15, His friends. When we hear those words, That we are his friends, that he lays down his life for his friends, we should marvel that we would be called friends of God. But as we've seen in John chapter thirteen, this this uh, this occurrence of these words in John chapter fifteen, they're not Jesus' first address, first part of the address. It's it's another thing we see on repeat. The the Thursday of Easter week has often been called Monday Thursday. Uh, it comes from uh, Latin two Latin words mandatum novum, which means new command, and that comes from Jesus' words here in John fifteen. This or actually thirteen, uh, a new commandment he says in John uh, fifteen thirty four or thirteen thirty four. Man, I'm going to have a hard time with that thirteen and fifteen this morning. I already am. he says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. And this is the command that he gave not only to his disciples, but to each and every one of us. But the words that Jesus uses here, it it strikes so much of what we saw last week. Again, in John chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And now he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, the Father has loved the Son, the Son has loved us, and we are to love one another. It is to be this unbroken chain of love and so here today in John 15 and 13 I want us to see the extent of that love and so we're going to start out number one with the perfect picture of love the perfect picture of love again in John chapter 15 we're going to look at verse 13 first Jesus says greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. The ultimate expression of love is self-sacrifice. We saw this uh, last week and the week before in, John, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. And so we saw that even 60 years after these uh, events of John 13 and 14 and 15, as John writes First John 60 to 65 years later, This is still on his mind. And he tells us there in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John is seeing this connection. He's remembering those words, this new commandment that we are to love one another and that there is no greater love than one lays down his life. And so he says, as as Jesus, our Lord, as the Son laid down His life for us, we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. And this is exactly what Jesus is about to do. He came as a baby so that He might live the sinless life that you and I have not lived. And He's about to go to the cross and and not just die, but He is about to bear the wrath of God for our sin. All so that we don't have to. I can think of no greater expression of love than this. Because we look in John 3.16, all I have to do is watch a football game, you'll see somebody holding up a sign that says it, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him might not perish but have eternal life. I don't know that you or I or any of us in this room have have it in us to give up our children to death to save the life of somebody else. And yet God does. And Jesus, we see here in John chapter 15, he is willingly laying his life down for us as well as friends. So that we might really, uh, in many ways, become His friends. This is the ultimate expression of love. But look with me now at John chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. We we see the same idea uh, of Jesus laying down his life, but in very different terms. Verse 31, when he had gone out, that is Judas, when he had gone out of the upper room to go and, and betray Jesus, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And so Jesus speaks of this laying down of his life in terms of glory. Again, this is as confusing as the idea of finding a king in a barn in a food trough. He is about to be betrayed by one of his followers He's going to be tried illegally. The Old Testament law forbid trials at night. They were to take place in the daytime. And he undergoes six trials. Some of, uh, three at the hands of the Jews, three at the hands of the kind of Romans, because there's uh, Annas, Caiaphas, Annas, so that's uh, former high priest, high priest, former high priest, or maybe I've got that backwards, I'm talking fast. And then uh, Pilate, Herod, Pilate. And so he gets tried six times. We know that people are hired to testify against him and to speak lies of him, which was also not commanded uh, that we not do, we're not to bear false testimony, and then he's going to be beaten to the point of almost death, given a cross to carry up a hill, crucified brutally, and, and, and then almost buried in a communal grave for the poor, but a rich man takes him and buries him in his own tomb. And and Jesus knows this is coming. Trial, beating, crucifixion, wrath of God, death. And he speaks of it in terms of glory? How can this be glorious? But this is the apex of God's glory. Because it's where the sinless Savior bears our guilt and shame and He bears it to death. And how amazing is it that God puts death to death by death and then brings His Son back to life. It's glorious because of what God does for us there. God loves us. John 3:16 And so he sends his son to be born in a stable. And if you've been paying attention, you've noticed that what I said he did at the cross was bear the father's anger towards our sin. Do, do you see the love in this? God loves us so much that He sends His Son to bear the wrath He has for our sin so that He can save us. When was the last time you, in a moment of wrath and rage, considered how you might bear your own wrath so that the person you're angry at doesn't have to and can be reconciled to you as your friend? The wonder of the Gospel is that the very God we needed saving from is the very God who saves us. Who loves us and who sends His Son to die for us. And John 15, 13 is clear that Jesus does not go involuntarily, and it's not just out of obedience and affection for the Father, which certainly is part of it. He says He lays down His life as an act of ultimate love for His friends. Now that reference to friends, that's kind of a reference to the disciples. They had already chosen to follow Him. But Romans is clear that that His love is shown in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us while we were still His enemies. It's not just His disciples that He dies for. It's for the centurion at at the foot of the cross who says, Surely this was the Son of God. He doesn't die just for His friends. He dies for His enemies so that they might become His friends. For you and for me, so that we might become His friends. This truly is the perfect picture of love. And for those of us who have believed, the response, number two on your outline, is the present portrayal of love. We, you and I, those of us who have believed, we are to be a a portrayal of the love of Christ for us. And more than that, we're to be a portrayal of the love of the Father for the Son. Look with me at John chapter 15 again, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as in the same way that I have loved you. And then back to John chapter 13. Verses uh, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. We're to love one another in the same way that Jesus has loved us. The question is to what end? What, what, what's the result of that love verse 35 of chapter 13 by this by our love for one another all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another the 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 end of our love is so that people might look at us and see our love for one another and love god at this point, I think we need to be reminded that Jesus' love, the Father's love, is and I'm gonna, I say this all the time, I'm going to keep beating this drum. Love is action. Jesus' love is action. The Father loved, so he gave. The Son loved, so he laid down his life. Affection is feelings. Love is action. Love does. But notice where this love, this doing of love is to be directed. It is at one another. With the result that everyone will know that we are His disciples. Sometimes I think we get this confused. Like if we love the world enough, if we love the people outside of the church enough, then they'll know that we are His disciples. And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying that we shouldn't love the world. We should. But he's saying here that that the world knows we are his disciples not by our love for them, but for our love for one another. And a church that doesn't love is a a little bit like a house full of shy cats. If you love cats, I'm sorry. But I'm going to pick on cats for a moment. You know, cats... I should maybe say a house full of shy cats that are, you know, peeing everywhere. I went and stayed with my friend Aaron not too long ago. They have a cat. They rescued this cat. And uh, I caught a, a glimpse of this cat once. This is like a neurotic cat, and, and it disappears anytime people are around. The only way you can know there's a cat is because there's like a cat house and a scratch pad and a food bowl and things like that. But other than that, the cat disappears. But you know what I'm talking about when I'm saying like sometimes you walk into a house that has cats and maybe somebody hasn't been taking care of the litter box very well and you go in and you don't see a cat, but you just walk in and you're like, there's some cats in here. A church that doesn't love one another, a church that doesn't love other genuine believers who, who have the, may not have all of the same theological bent, but who genuinely love Jesus? People walk in and they go, this place doesn't smell right. We can do all the loving on the world that we want to, but when here, we're not about laying down our lives for one another. We're about getting what we can from others. We're about our preferences. We're about our demands. We're about our wants. We're about our desires. The world is going to walk in and go, something just doesn't smell right here. Uh, this, this love that Christ commands of us, it's a love for one another. Not affection, not positive feelings, though that would be nice too. That's definitely part of it. But love. The, the laying down of our lives for one another. Our love to one another and for one another is to be the present portrayal of the love of God for us as displayed in Christ laying down His life for His friends. The greatest testimony of our witness, the greatest testimony of the gospel is our love for one another. So as we close this morning, I just, I want to ask, I wonder what ways we might need to live this out. What what ways might you and I need to live this out? For some of us here today, we may need to lay, lay down our lives so that Jesus can become our friend for the first time. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't don't think Jesus is my friend. Jesus still calls all who would follow them to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and follow Him. Forgiveness for sin and reconciliation with God, that was paid for by Jesus. But we still have to die for ourselves and live for Him. We have to love the Savior more than our sin. And it doesn't mean we're perfect the moment we ask for God's forgiveness, but it does mean there's a change of affections. Shockingly, I actually have a little extra time today, so I'll share this story with you. I don't know if, uh, if any of you remember, but there was, um, there was uh, this show on TV, I think it was on TLC a while ago, called uh, LA Inc., and it was about uh, a ta- some tattoo artists in, in L.A. And kind of the main character, uh, uh, it, the, the main gal in this show was a, a lady by the name of Kat Von D. And, uh, you know, she uh, I saw this, uh, this video interview with her. Last week, where somebody was, inter- uh, was interviewing her, and she's like, yeah, I mean, I managed to stay successful, and, uh, you know, she's a talented tattoo artist, and so she kept busy, and, and her and her husband, you know, they, they, at least she got into alcohol, and then she got into drugs, and she said, I still wasn't happy, so I kept pressing into the occult, and witchcraft, and all this kind of stuff, but I was just not happy. She didn't have the joy that we're talking about in this series. The joy where Jesus says, my joy I give to you. That your joy may be full. She was joyless. And she realized it. She's like, you know what? I'm getting rid of all this stuff. She took all of her books and all the stuff that that she had for that stuff and she threw it all away. And she said, I picked up a Bible and I just started reading. And, And I met Jesus. She says, and, and this, i got to tell you, isn't like the stuff I did before. And when she gave a reason for that, she said, you know, all that stuff I used to love, I hate it now. That's what Jesus demands of us. That we look at all of those things, all of those sins, all of the things for which we, we get the, the righteous and just wrath of God. And when we see that the sinless Savior died for us to bear our consequence, to take our guilt, to take our shame, to pay the penalty for all that we've done, how, how could we not but love Him? Yes, we still struggle with temptation. Yes, we still fall into the dumb things that we used to do. But we trade all of those things for a relationship with Jesus. Maybe your first step today is to trust Jesus more than yourself. to, to, To trust the Savior more than your sin. But for others of us, it may simply come down to loving one another better. Taking a meal to somebody who needs it. Reading through the Bible with somebody who never has. Jennifer's going to be excited about this one. Caring for babies in the nursery so moms can be part of a service. We don't have enough nursery workers. Praise God. Serving in kids ministry or youth ministry. Opening your homes to others in the church. Giving of what you have to meet the needs of somebody who's struggling to get by. I don't know. You don't have to do all these things but we all should be doing some of these things. If love does, what are you doing to love others around you? And so maybe for some of us, we need to to do better at loving one another. Maybe for some of us, it's making our love more visible to those who don't yet know Jesus. Because what's implied in Jesus' words here, that by this all men will know that you you are my disciples if you have love for one another, it assumes that we're posturing ourselves in places where people who don't yet know Jesus get to see us love one another. That can't just be here. Maybe it's inviting a neighbor to dinner and, and, and one of your friends from church too. So that they can see What gospel centered friendship looks like. Maybe it's just sharing the gospel with somebody. I'll never forget this video I saw of Penn Gillette. I'll name drop. I don't know Penn Gillette, so don't, don't think of that. But I was standing at the, I was in LAX one time and I was trying to look at my flight and where the gate was and I heard this voice behind me and I was like, I recognize that voice. You guys know who Penn Gillette is? Like Penn and Teller, he's one of the musicians, no, magicians of of Penn and Teller. And uh, Penn Gillette's the tall guy and Teller's the little guy who never talks. And and I hear this voice behind me and he's got a super distinct voice and I'm like, I recognize that voice. So I turn around and then I'm like, yeah, I'm not a small guy and I'm, I'm looking up to this giant of a man and it was him. He was looking for a plane and he Got on a plane. But I came across this video uh, one night, and, and it's Penn, uh, Penn Gillette, and he's just recording a video of himself on his phone. And he tells this story. He says, You know, uh, we, we had this show tonight. I can't remember what city it's in. And he said, After the show, people were coming up to us and, and they were talking to us and, uh, and, and getting autographs and those kind of things. And he said, I could just see this guy back in the corner who was just waiting. Now, if you know anything about Penn Gillette, you'll know that he's kind of a militant atheist. The guy is anti-everything we believe. But this guy, he, get back to the story, he's, he's like, you know, this guy was just waiting back in the corner, and I could tell he wanted to come talk, and after everybody else cleared out, he came up to me, and he handed me a Bible, and he said, I just want you to have this. And Penn was like, in this video, now remember, he doesn't believe any of it. In fact, he's against all of it. Penn says, you know, I just I was I was struck by this man's desire to give this to me. He says, because I, you know, I don't I don't believe any of this stuff, but then I kid you not, this is what Penn Gillette says. He says, How much do you have to hate somebody? to believe in heaven and hell and then not tell them how to get there. He says, what this guy did in giving me this Bible was an expression of his love for me. Maybe sometimes our love just needs to be visible enough and in places where people who don't know Jesus yet can see it. Because how much do you have to hate somebody to know that there's a way to get to heaven and not tell them? I mean, Penn nailed it. We've got to follow the example of Jesus and the command of Jesus to love one another and those who aren't yet part of our one another who we want to become part of the one another, which brings us back to Christmas. What an act of love that Jesus would be born in such a humble way. All so that He could lay down His life so that we might become His friends. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your love for us in sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for your love for us in laying down your life that we might become your friends. Lord, would you help us, especially maybe any among us who have not yet become your friends, would you grant them faith to trust you and your sinless life and your death in our place to secure our forgiveness? But for those of us who have loved you, who have become your friends by faith. Would you help us to love one another? Would you help us to lay down our preferences? Would you help us to think first of how we might love those around us rather than be loved by those around us? Would you make Trinity such a radical place of love that in our seeking to love one another, we all have our needs met and our hearts and our souls cared for? And would you help us to love those around us who who aren't yet part of the one another? Would you help us to to love one another visibly and publicly enough and to love them enough that they might see our love for you and see our love for one another and see the ways in which you're transforming us and making us into the people that, that we aren't naturally on our own? Would you help us to show your love to everyone we come in contact with. Would you help us not, not to think lightly about this baby that was born for us on Christmas, whatever month and day of the year that was when he was born. We celebrate it now. But may we never be lost that the glorious King of Heaven humbled himself and was born in a barn to live like us, to die for us, so that we could eternally be your children and friends. And may that drive us to not only friendship with you, but may that drive us to a humble reverence and awe and wonder and submission to you as well. And we know that all of this, as you tell us, is so that our joy may be full. May we experience that joy, knowing your sovereignty and your glory this Christmas. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.